Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. Um, as you're doing that, I, I got an email from a very close friend who uh, sent these words to me. I'd like to just repeat them to you. Uh, it has, goes like this. A few years ago, I was chatting with a man named Joseph, and I asked him if his parents had named him after Joseph in the Bible. As we talked further, he told me that he didn't know his name was written in the Bible. I explained that the Bible includes several men named Joseph, including a great story about how one Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and later elevated to the second most powerful man in Egypt. He was astounded he had never read the story. I then asked him about his church background, and he told me he was an elder in his church. He named the church. The church had a good reputation. I asked him how he became an elder when he didn't know much about the Bible. He replied, I'm 60 years old, so they made me an elder. I mean, that's pretty weak, isn't it? Uh, but that's not that uncommon, unfortunately, even among Bible-believing churches. You know, one of the slogans that we've adopted, we don't have our own marquee, so we don't have it there now, but it does say about under Sovereign Grace Chapel, where the Bible speaks. And I'd like to even put underneath that, where people obey. And maybe even under that, of people who read the Bible. How important, isn't it, for us to be readers of the Word? Paul says to Timothy, give attendance to the public reading of the Word. And that's what you're about to, and we have heard already, the public reading of the Word. You know, when you think about it, in, in biblical days, very, very few people had, a, had their own copy of the Scriptures. This is why when they came together in the synagogue, there would be one who would read the Scriptures on the behalf of everyone else that was in attendance. That was where they got the Word of God. Oftentimes, they were long portions of the Word that were read, but they were all hungry to hear the Word, and that's where the public reading of the Word was taking place. So we can really praise God that each of us has a Bible available to us. Thank God for the Gutenberg pre uh, Press that came out when printing started back in the 1400s, and we now are the product of that and have access to the Bible. Let's read now Ecclesiastes 12, uh, 11, rather, verses 1 to 10. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will be. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or the body is formed, isn't that what we were talking about early, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However, many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. But let them remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. 
You who are young, be happy while you are young. And let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But know thou that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. For youth and vigor are meaningless. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I have, say, I have something to say to you. How many of you are optimists? Would you raise your hand? That's all? <laughs> I was optimistic that more, uh, hands were going to go up. How many of you are pessimists? Come on, be honest out there. Come on, get them up way up there. All right. <laughs> That's good. Don't be proud. Don't be a, but how many of us are realists? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Now all the hands go up, right? To be an optimist is a negative side of that. To be a pessimist is a negative side to that. To be a realist is like, yeah, right on, right in between. Perfect. Well, it, the reality is, though, isn't it, that we want to not be overly optimistic and blind ourselves to reality and the other way around and, and blind ourselves to reality. I'm one that likes to think if we have plans for a weekend and the weather forecast is negative, like, don't worry, it's going to be nice. It's going to be nice. Don't trust the forecast. This is going to be a beautiful day. Uh, people, health, we sometimes worry about that. The pessimist is really down on themselves. They can't t- tell you enough how bad they are suffering and the health problems they have. Others, well, I'm doing fine when really they're on, they get a, one foot on a banana peel and they still have an optimistic attitude. So you're either probably one that has a cup, the cup that's half empty, or how do you look at it? Is it half full? You know, I remember there was a, in my uh, uh, science class in junior high in your neighborhood, um, my science teacher was doing some, something with the chemicals, and there was a chemical reaction that caused this smoke to come out of the sink where she was doing her little thing. And all of a sudden, the room started filling up with smoke and it was going into the corridor and it set off the alarms in the whole junior high. And I, I would say there had to be a, a good 500 kids at that time in the school. The alarms go off. 911 is called. The fire department's called. Everybody is screaming and running out to go outside because the fire alarms went off, right? Guess who stayed back? I, I said, I'm in the room, no problem. This is a this is a fluke. Everybody's going to come back in five minutes. Why waste my time and going out and have to... Well, I stayed there. I ended up having to go gasping for breath at the window, opening it up so I wouldn't suffocate. That's the kind of unrealistic optimist I guess I am. Uh, but we have to stay a course that is based on facts and be level-headed about it. Jesus says no one goes to war that doesn't first sit down and count the cost and be sure that he has enough artillery, men, and so on to fight the battle or build a building and discovers halfway through it that he didn't have enough funds. So we really need to be prudent. It says in the book of Proverbs, a prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself, but the fool rages and is confident. We need to be prudent. As it said, an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. It's better to be safe than to sorry, to be sorry. It's better to take a chance, maybe, than to lose an opportunity. That's another thing that we could consider. You know, we quote the verse that was mentioned this morning in our adult Bible study this morning. 
that wonderful verse that everybody should have memorized, Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We have to ask the question, what are the all things that work together to, for good? I think sublimely we think that all good things work together for good, but that all things could be all bad things, all negative things, all setback things. Those are the kinds of things that we don't want to recognize, but God does and has a reason for it and calls it just all things, and we have to believe that whatever they are will work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Just a little caveat there to mention that, that all things can be all bad things as well as other things. Going to our text here, now ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. What is this talking about? This is talking about investing, investing in future dividends because you don't know what the future holds. It's a very practical point that Solomon here is making on what we ought to be doing in anticipation of the future. Even though we don't know what's going to happen, as he says, you don't know what disaster may come upon the land. I think Christians are the worst for investing, the worst for preparation for the future. We are now people, and we don't think of the future. And I think I've been guilty of that, especially in my early days of my Christian walk. I don't think about the future. I don't have plans for the future. I don't have any investment in the future. And unfortunately, people who think that way will pay a price at some point, especially near the end, if God provides them life till the end. And I want to ask the question, why are Christians bad investors? Because... They, first of all, they don't think they're going to die. Secondly, they think that probably they're not even going to get old. And that's not something that just Christians think, but everybody thinks this. But another one would be that because our treasures are in heaven, we don't concern ourselves with earthly things. That if we get overly concerned with earthly things, that that's going to be a negative thing. That's a mistake. You've heard the expression, don't be so heavenly minded that you know earthly good there's a negative side to that, but th th that you could say would fit in this case. If we're so heavenly minded that we forget about some of the natural, practical things of life that we need to apply. We might say a, a verse like, yeah, our treasure is in heaven. That's what Jesus said, so we don't need to have earthly treasures. But when you don't have what you need, then you're going to regret that you didn't think in advance about the future ahead of you. You can also be thinking, I'm in God's hands, so whatever will be, will be. God is in control of everything, which kind of takes you off the hook. That's a mistake. God doesn't expect us to just get on the train and he'll do all the driving for us. No, we have to use our own ingenuity sometimes and our own wisdom and our own intelligence. God expects that of us, and he endows us with that. And another reason is, too, people think the rapture is going to take them out of here anytime, so, hey... Why should I be worried about the future when today the Lord could come or next week he could come? And as we know, many cases that has not happened yet and people look back possibly 
regrettably that they made such an issue of the imminent second coming of Christ that they didn't have any preparations. Well, I think that this is what Solomon, is, I think, is getting after about the be an investor, look into the future, because you don't even know what's going to happen. Disaster could come upon the land, and this would make you better prepared. Think of uh, what mentioned Joseph earlier today, um, how that uh, when he uh, interpreted the dream of the Pharaoh, remember when he saw the seven uh, uh, cows in the dream that were heavy, uh, fat cows, and then he saw seven that were lean, skinny cows, and he got the interpretation from Joseph, and Joseph talked about there's going to be seven years of famine, and there's going to be seven years of prosperity. Well, during the seven years of the famine, in preparation for that, the idea was to store up treasure, supplies, bring the grain into the barn houses and get them ready so that when the supplies are lowered, we're all stocked up. That's someone that thinks wisely into the future, and I think that's what Solomon is advising us, and I think we should take that wisdom and that advice and do the same ourselves. Verse 3 and 4, if clouds are full of water... They pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will be. No questions asked. That's obvious. A a cloud with a lot of rain is going to give water. uh, I mean, with water is going to give a lot of rain. And uh, a tree that falls one direction or another, that's where it's going to be. This is pretty obvious. This is something that's clear. Verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. You know, that could be taken in two ways. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. I suppose farmers would know better how that would apply, and I think it's for agricultural purposes. But I think what the the author here is, is intending for us is that if you're too concerned with the externals, if you're looking at this and you're looking at that, and it's going to prevent you from doing what you've got to do, do it anyway. Don't get so concerned because it tells us right here you don't know which way the wind is going to blow and you can't really be sure that it's going to or not going to rain. But do what you have to do. Put your shoulder to the wheel and get into the grind and go ahead and do it no matter what. So we don't know the path of the wind, verse 5 says, or how the body is formed. Just like it said earlier, you don't know when disaster is going to come. Verse 5 tells us we don't know the direction of the wind. That's why I think we, the, the farmer shouldn't be over-occupied with the way the wind is blowing at the moment because it may not blow that same way afterwards. It may be in a different direction. Remember Jesus says the wind blows where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it is coming from or where it is going. How does it finish? So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You probably, if you had a list of people who you thought were the most unlikely candidates to become a Christian, watch out. You don't know where the Spirit blows. That's what Jesus is saying. You might be surprised that Saul of Tarsus, who was zealous against Christians and was putting them to death, that God would rain down a miracle on him on the road to Damascus. And what his trip was intending to do To destroy Christians, he turned out blessing the people of God and he became more powerful preaching about Jesus Christ. So don't X out your child, your loved one, a dear friend of yours. It may seem hopeless right now, 
but don't stop sowing the seed. You never know what a day may bring forth. My brother's been a hard hat for years, but just recently he called me last a few days ago and he wanted to know about uh, gay marriages and does the Catholic Church approve of it and so on and so forth. He's been asking me all kinds of questions of late and you don't know, is the wind starting to blow? Is the spirit starting to blow over the lives of some people? You know, when you're young and healthy, you probably naturally don't think about death, the afterlife, or God. When you got money in your pocket, you got a decent job, you got a nice boyfriend or girlfriend, and you got all these amenities, who needs God? That could be the attitude until like our, our brother was saying when he was in the, in, in the military and started feeling depressed, found, trying to feel, he was feeling down, and then reaching out and calling out to God, God, if you're real. That would be wonderful if, if people would even think that way and then at, and challenge God or question him and say, yeah, God, if you are real, show yourself. I, I heard of somebody who said that very same thing in a, in a church and a wind came through the window and blew open the Bible that he had in his hand to a salvific verse and God saved him right there because of that. So you never know. We cannot limit the miraculous power of God and what he can do in people's lives. The wind blows where it lists. You can't tell where it's coming or where it is going. So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, all of you here that are born again, you can praise God. You're a miracle that the wind blew in your life and that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world called you into his grace and now you can say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We were once afar off but are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. We've been drawn. If we wanted to go do it our way, we would have gone that way but praise God for the power of the Spirit that draws us in. So I think maybe something that we could apply with a verse like this Let's not fail to sow the seed. If we do believe the word of God is life-giving and powerful, let's sow it. I'm sure some of the words that this friend that Barry was talking about in the military that gave him a track with Bible verses or quoted verses to him, that God somehow used those verses because a man's born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. My wife, sometimes when she has to mail a check, she'll put a Bible verse on the bottom of the check. Uh, things like that. Leave a gospel track somewhere. Quote a, a verse to somebody. Drop, drop a line out of the Bible to somebody. Who knows where that word would go? Send out thy word and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy tabernacle. Psalm 43 and verse 3. Verse 6 says, Sow your seed in the morning and at evening. Let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. That same kind of idea. Just do it. You may not know what the future is going to hold, but what you've got to do at the, it, at the moment is you've got to do what's right. And you've got to sow that seed, and you've got to cast it out and watch where it goes. Investing investing let's invest in people's lives and we've got the good bread that we can send out on the waters and hopefully it will come back if i can make an application that way now let's go down to verse seven which switches a little bit here from what we were reading in a continuous discontinuous way light is sweet pleases the eyes to see the sun the bible always talks about darkness and night as something negative 
Light is sweet. It's great when you wake up in the morning and the sun is shining in your bedroom, shining in your kitchen. It just, it's natural for your spirits to be picked up. God causes his, the sun to shine upon the just and the unjust. That's one of the ways in which God's benevolence, his providence is demonstrated by him shining light upon this earth. It's natural, and we should recognize that as a gift from God. It pleases the eyes to see the sun. It brings great pleasure to us to have a nice, clear, blue sky day. It just is natural to be cheered up in comparison to a cloudy, gloomy day that our spirits seem to go down. However, verse 8 goes on to say, many year, However many years anyone may live, and God knows how long you're going to live, brother and sister, you and I don't, uh, our times, the psalmist says, are in thy hands. Uh, yes, we have a degree of need to take care of ourselves, eat healthily, do exercise, lose weight, and all those kinds of things. That's appropriate. But in, in spite of all that, we can be assured that our times are in his hands. He, our days are numbered. How many years anyone may live, let them enjoy them all. Who doesn't want to have a joyful life? Something's wrong with it if you don't feel that way. Everybody wants to be happy, healthy, maybe wealthy. Enjoy life. That's what the the Bible is telling us. You know, the Bible says that God has given us all things. You know, I hear about people that go on vacation, and I've gone on many too, and overseas as well. And I've concluded that the United States is the best country in the world for sightseeing, beauty, the varieties that you have in America. I don't know that it's comparable to any other country. You know, we've got, we, we got a great continent that we're on, and we can praise God for that. And there's so many around the world. I'm not t- trying to discredit them, but I'm just saying God in some ways just magnifies himself and should bring cheer to us when we see the beauty that God has created all around us. So however many years one may live, let them enjoy them all. We don't need to be down and out. And God wants us to be upbuilt, wants us to be cheerful, to be a happy people, especially those who are the children of God. Was it Barbara Streisand who sang the song, people who need people are the luckiest people? Well, people who have Christ as their Savior are the happiest people in the world. Paul says to Agrippa, I count myself happy, O king, or blessed. That word, it could go either way. The, the translation of the Hebrew or the Greek could be blessed or happy. And it's true if you're blessed, you're happy. If you're truly happy, you're truly blessed. We are a blessed people. We don't know what we've got. But let them remember, as it goes on in verse 8, let them remember... As much as you enjoy all of your days on earth, but remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. They will be many. Mingled in all the days of our life. Hopefully they'll be joyous, but let's remember, nobody practically is ever not going to go through some days of darkness. Remember them. And when we go through them, we have to realize This is what we're appointed to. There's no one that lives that's going to be exempt from these. Job says, a man's days on, well, he says, uh, hold on. He says, uh, 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 those that are born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. 
So trouble is expected to be on our pathway of life so that it shouldn't really come as a surprise when we find out something about our health condition, something about our job security, something about a family member or something of that sort. It's not that we, we take these things lightly and it doesn't get under our skin, but let's not be so falsely insulated that we think that none of these things are going to touch us. It's a, it's a horrible idea. Some of the hyper-Pentecostals go overboard so that it's all just health, wealth, and prosperity. That's what God wants in that only. That's a falsity. I think our brother said one of the first reasons why he came to the church because he saw, I think the first sermon that he either heard or saw online was uh, a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering. That's an aspect of our Christian life that we don't want to develop or we don't want to don't emphasize certainly, but it's absolutely there in the Bible. And you won't find, uh, you will find everywhere cases over and over, not just a Job, but our brother Paul, uh, the apostle, was mentioned as an example about the trials within and the sufferings of without, et cetera, et cetera. That's what we are appointed unto. So we've got to remember the days of darkness. So in the early part of this chapter, verses 1 to 6, these are things that we don't know, but here are things that Solomon is saying that you do know, you're going to know, you will know, you should know that days are, of darkness are on your life schedule. But praise God, the Lord says, casting all your care upon me because I care for you. So when we are in the dark periods of our life, we don't have to bear it alone. We don't have to go to the bar room. We don't have to take some artificial stimulant of, of some sort to try to get us out of that condition. We can take the load and say, Lord, it's in your hands. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. We don't have to bear it alone. I'm glad about that. Because people who don't have the Lord, we often say, I don't know how they can handle it, how they can handle it. And they don't handle it well. Generally speaking, they don't. But God's people, we are without excuse. And I'm not saying that you know we're all tough guys and we've got this such a close relationship with God that we don't... We don't get stretched beyond our measure. If there's an, any example, it would be Job. Behold my servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth. But yet we find him folding under the pressure. We find him questioning why. He says, I'm a man of integrity and God is bringing these things upon me. And yet we read in the book of James, you know of the perseverance of Job. The word, the patient, patience of Job it's really a misunderstanding, I think, about the life of Job as it's described in the book of Job. Oh, you have the patience of Job. You've heard that colloquialism, right? That's really not what it means in the Bible. It means that Job endured, that he persevered through it. And he had dark days, and he let God know about it. And God is not uh, ashamed when you say to God, God, why is this happening to me? A good pre well, he's not a good preacher friend of mine, but a preacher that I've come to respect and know personally. And uh, what did I say wrong? Uh, I'm glad I'm not you listening to me. Um, well, anyway, uh, this brother, in the middle of his night, the night his wife apparently was having a heart attack uh, of some sort, 
and uh, he was totally alarmed. They were both in very key positions in a rescue mission organization that they run, Christian uh, mission, uh, uh, rescue mission organization there in Pontiac Mission, uh, Michigan, and he, uh, uh, he's trying to give a CPR, and she's, you know, going through her stress and, and, and all that comes along with it, and he's, he's doing this, and he's looking up to God, and he says, God, God, why are you doing this to us? Why are you doing it? It was such an important time in their life right there in the, in the responsibilities that God had given them. There was four missionaries. I think it was the background for uh, James Dobson's book called uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense. When God Doesn't Make Sense. What, what a way of titling a book. But that's how we think of it sometimes. Four missionaries were on a private plane for a mission trip, and they all got killed in a plane, cra- uh, plane crash. God, that doesn't make sense. How do you deal with that? These are the days of darkness, brothers and sisters. And Solomon says, everything to come is meaningless. Or again, that vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It's without explanation. And then the concluding verses here. You who are young, be happy. How's that song go? Anybody want to sing it? Who's that though? Don't what? No, what's the, how's that go? No, not that one. The other one, the one by what is his name? Williams, Farrell Williams. Uh, happy be anyway. That that makes everybody happy. That makes everybody happy. Everybody wants to be happy, and the young especially want to be happy. You get older, you get a little more realistic, I guess, and that optimism kind of goes away a bit. But anyway, uh, you who are young, be happy while you are young. Let your heart give you joy in the days of... Boy, that really sounds like a pep talk to me. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever you see, your eyes see. It's almost like eat, drink, and be merry. And that's kind of a little bit of a theme in the book of, of uh, Ecclesiastes. Yeah, eat, drink, th- those are natural uh, amenities of life, enjoy them, enjoy your life, live to the longest as you can or God allows you to, and then you die. Song of Solomon, I mean, uh, the, the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't give us a whole lot of hope about the afterlife, but that book, this book is not expected to do that. Like I've said before, let's, you got to turn to the, to, the, to the next chapter. You got to go to uh, places in Psalms and Proverbs and elsewhere, and especially in the New Testament, when we will know about the life to come that we have to look forward to, the treasures that are for us in heaven. So whatever you see, whatever your heart wants to desire, but know thou, here's something again that can be known. You can know that the days of darkness are ahead or upon you or have been behind you. You know that. And here's another thing you can know. Know that for all these things, what things? What you've done in your lifetime, God will bring you into judgment. Now, this verse can be taken two ways. I remember David Briggs saying, oh, that verse has been badly misunderstood, and he was giving examples of, of preachers in the past that have preached on it. And I said, I don't know of any other way to take it that, hey, young person, you can, you can hoop it up, live, live to, the, to the hilts. You can ride high in a saddle, but remember, God's going to judge you. There's evil. Uh, there's going to be evil's going to be punished, so watch out how you behave. But I'm not sure that that is the meaning of the verse. But let me at least provide a second possibility that what he's saying is advising him natural truth. But he's saying, but in, uh, under the umbrella of this lifestyle, remember, don't forget, 
You're living before God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Everything that we do is exposed to him. I'm living under the lordship of Christ. I can't escape it. I can't go into the woods like Adam and Eve thought they could and hide from God. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do, Hebrews 4.13 says. So, young people, live it up. Okay, let me qualify that. Live it up. I don't mean sin it up. I mean live your life to the full. But remember, you're under the eye of God. May his judgment of you be something that you take into consideration in the way in which you live in this world. So that's a qualifier to the, to the ex- exhortation about living a life of enjoyment. But live it with expectation that God is over you. You are under his reign. You are under his lordship. And I think we can all take this to heart too. Wherever we go, who we hang with, things that we say, etc., etc. We're under the lordship of God. His eyes are upon us in every place. Verse 10. So then... Banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body. Wow, that sounds great. For youth and vigor are, again, vanity, meaningless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. This is the jaundiced view of the author of the book of Ecclesiastes that has to be balanced with other portions of the Scriptures so that when we read these things, like I've said before, Not everything that the Bible records is necessarily everything that the Bible teaches. So we have to make that discrimination between what is teachable, what is taught to us, and what is just simply recorded for us. The Bible records things that it doesn't necessarily intend to be teaching us from those particular portions of the Word. So... Investments in the future? Yes. Think of the days ahead. Don't be foolish. At the same time, don't let things interfere with sowing the seed, with doing what you've got to do. Don't be too concerned as a pessimist with the clouds and, and with the winds because they'll distract you. They'll, they'll, the devil will take advantage of that and say, no, don't go that way. Don't try that. Don't, don't, don't be adventurous. We, we do have to be a bit risky as God's children, I think. Trusting the Lord and not being over-concerned with empirical things that we see that could be used of the devil to try to hinder us from moving in a direction that we ought to be going. So the things that we don't know, we don't know that disaster could come upon the land. We don't know the path of the wind. We don't know whether sowing the seed at this time or that time will succeed or not. But what we do know is we do know that the days of darkness are going to be on our track of life and that we do know that we will all be brought into judgment. And praise God, there is no judgment to them that are in Christ Jesus as far as the penalty of my sins. It's been said easily this way. Jesus died for the penalty of my sins. That's all paid in full. He paid for the penalty of sins. They'll never be brought up again. He died once and for all, never to be remembered again. It's all under the blood. Nevertheless, we must all give an account of ourselves to God, of the things that we've done in our body, whether it be good or whether it be bad. 
That will be the assessment of our life. That will be the beam-up point of our lives when we'll have to give an account of ourselves for what deeds we did in our body. So therefore, we, although we're judgment-free from the penalty of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we shall be saved from the presence of sin. So as far as judgment is concerned, we have been saved from the penalty of the sin. They'll never be brought up again. My judgment God will not twice demand. Once at my Savior's bleeding hand, then not again at mine. Hallelujah to that. Not again at mine. We're judgment free, but we're not free from being judged by God's all-seeing eye. That shouldn't be something that, oh, God's watching me. It should be, Lord, what, I'm, what I do, I do it heartily as unto you and not before men. What we do in the closet, God sees in secret. And he will reward. That's the judgment. That's the assessment that will be coming in the future. So praise the Lord. As our sister sent this out, I love to end it with this. Satan is a lion. Jesus is a lion. There's verses for that. He's a, he, Satan's a roaring lion. Walk seeks whom he may devour. Jesus is a lion. He's called the lion of the tribe of Ju- Ju- Judah. But Satan is on a leash. But Jesus is on the throne. Thank you for that. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the wisdom that comes from above. Thank you for the wisdom that's provided in the word of God for us, Lord. We all confess and admit, as James says, if any of you lack wisdom, and truly, Lord, we do lack wisdom, and we ask, Lord, for wisdom to be able to conduct our lives in a way that would be honoring to you. Help us, Lord, to not be careless and carefree and live as if we have no God to answer to. We have no Lord that we are under the lordship of. Lord, give us that sensibility and spiritual discernment to live a life that's to your glory and honor. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of our brother Barry and how you worked in his life many years ago. And for others here too, Lord, that have been more recently saved and others that have been saved for other years, Lord, we all collectively, unitedly say thank you, Lord, for the miracle of salvation that you brought into our lives. Thank you for sending the Spirit like the wind in our lives when we did not expect it. We had no intentions. We had no desires for you, Lord. But your spirit moved in a way that made Jesus to us become precious. We thank you, Father, for the miracle of the new birth and changing us from sinners to worshipers and that, Lord, we can give you the glory and honor and praise. Part us with thy blessings, Lord. Bless this closing song as we give you the glory and honor in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our last song is going to be...